I'm talking with Dr. Kate Myers Emery, who is the manager of digital engagement at the George Eastman Museum. And Kate, thank you, first of all, so much for chatting with me and sharing some of some more context with readers. I felt like you asked such an interesting question on Twitter the other day, and it it stuck in my head and I couldn't let it go. And I could, in part because I know it's on so many people's minds. And maybe you could just share like what your, what was the question? Question was whether we should be taking virtual programs and making them paid, or if it's a better model for us to make the program free, but then ask for donations or something like that after the fact. Where is that coming from for you in your work? So as of 2020, like many places, the uh, George Eastman Museum started doing virtual programs. We moved everything that we were doing on site, online. For us, that meant doing some type of webinar lecture type thing weekly, if not more than weekly. We were doing a lot. All of a sudden, that was all virtual. And luckily for us in 2020, we got funding from National Endowment for the Humanities and the Art Bridges Foundation to do all of these webinars and online programs for free. However, coming into 2021, we didn't have that funding anymore. And we wanted to explore whether there was some other way that we could monetize it or encourage donations or encourage funding so that we could keep doing these types of things and really support them. And as we started this year doing these monetized events for the first time, we decided to take it as an experiment. So we've had events that are paid, events that are pay what you can, and events that are free. And overall, just generally, we've seen a decline in people attending our events. So we went from seeing anywhere from 500 to 800 people registering and then 300 to 400 actually attending to under 100 registering total. So it was a pretty big change for us, despite the fact that we're doing very similar programs. And my thought had been, is this just because we introduced monetization? Would we be getting more or the same amount of money or similar amounts of money if we kept them free and just encouraged people to donate? Or should we go back to it being (laughs) that this is free and really search out for funders that would support this? Or is it just better to do it paid and get smaller numbers? So I've just been, there's so many unknowns here. Is it Zoom fatigue after a year of doing this? Is it just changes to the content? Is it the weather's getting slightly nicer and people just need to be outside and away from screens. There's a lot going on here, but it's been something that's weighing on my mind is this question of paid versus seeking out donors. So just to clarify, it it sounded like you're trying out every avenue a little bit, which I think makes probably makes a lot of sense. But I, I just wonder, like when you say that you see that big drop, is that across the board again, across those different sort of paths that you're trying out, whether free or paid, or are you seeing a drop across all those different things? My cat just started making the most annoying noise. So I'm going to go try to get Great. to this. No, cats really are, we can edit cat. things out, but I'm not going to edit out the, the cat piece, just so you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's digital. You have to leave the cats in. I just 
Cats do so well on the internet. Yeah, so we're seeing this definitely across the board. We decided to monetize the programs that were getting the highest attendance because we thought that would translate the best of these are the ones that people are most interested in. They were also the ones that we could provide the richest exper experience to them. So there are programs that we're putting a lot of time and effort into, we're having multiple staff members in them. They're hands-on, they're demonstrations, more than just, hey, you're gonna watch someone do a PowerPoint. It's like someone in a dark room, they're showing you how a historic photographic process is done. You're getting to see things come to life before your eyes. And so we had thought those would translate the best moving into a paid system. And then for other ones, it's a split between, <laughs> did we decide to do it as pay what you can? What's the language that we're using for pay what you can? For some of them, we've explained a little bit more. We've said, hey, normally you would have paid admission to come to this program. We're just asking you to pay what you can now. Others were just being a little bit more vague. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot that's going on right now that we're playing with just to see what will work. I don't know, it's hard. I feel like no museum has found a perfect system and every museum is so different that the system that works for a really large museum isn't gonna work for us, which might not work for a smaller museum. So yeah, we're really just <laughs> trying lots of different things and just seeing what will work and what the reaction is. What are your thoughts on what you heard on Twitter from the question? Yeah, the responses that I got were very much more questions of just what kind of program is it? What kind of access are they getting? Are participants allowed to ask questions? Are they not? Is it a small group? Is it a guided activity? Is it something that's hybrid? Is there a hands-on component that they're actually getting to physically do at home? And that's what I noticed the most is just everyone had more questions, which I think is just showing that this is a conversation that we really need to be talking more about and diving into is there are so many variables. When I think about programs that I've paid for personally, they have been ones that I get to actually do something at home, like I'm picking up a package of things and then I'm making something along with someone else or I'm getting access I never would have actually physically gotten at some place, like a behind the scenes tour or I'm able to do something in a country that I can't go visit or in a state that I can't go visit. So I do think there's a lot of questions of that of is this people would probably be more willing to pay for something that's unique that they couldn't actually get access to. Although that's an interesting thing because like in COVID you can't get access to anything. So it's like, all right. but yeah, it was interesting how many questions people had of there, there was no person who came forward and was just like, yep, here's the magic thing. You should have done this or, oh, just read this article. That'll answer everything. It was just more caveats, things to think about. Yeah, and the best answer is it depends because that's the true answer. <laughs> but one thing I noticed, it took me a number of days to realize that I was framing your question in a, a similar way, I think, to some of the people who responded, which is what's the value in terms of things like staff investment and the efforts that people go into to develop the program or things like that. And I guess one thing I wonder is like, how does that fit in? How do questions like that fit in 
with the audience in terms of how they're thinking. Yeah. And it's so hard because you can have someone who creates just a straight up lecture, but they have to photograph every object that's in there and they're doing this precise research and it takes a lot of time and staff resources, but I don't know that it translates versus something where it, we have people on staff that are just, they can just go off for hours. They have everything memorized. They don't need to prep. They can just do it at the drop of a hat. And so they can give you a cool behind the scenes tour, but it took them no prep time because <laughs> that's just, that's who they are. And so I think there are things that we perceive that they take a lot of effort, but they don't necessarily take a lot of effort. I also know that we have some things that take a lot of digital effort. And I think the digital labor is often one of the things that we forget about of, you have a person who's manually behind the scenes, switching all these cameras, keeping up with comments, making sure that people are having an engaging time. And so it might seem like this easy Zoom that you're just going into, but there's someone who's facilitating this whole environment and that can take a lot of effort, but I don't know if people are going to see that effort or if it's going to come out. So yeah, I think it is a good question because from a business standpoint, you would want to calculate it on, all right, we put it in this many hours. So this is what we should be asking people to pay for it. But I don't know if they're going to get that value. You said at one point, you're wondering if switching from free to paid alienates people. What was your thinking about that? I think it's more the switch. I don't think it's necessarily starting out with something being paid is negative or I think to some extent, anything that museums do that's paid, there's going to be groups of people that say it should be free, that it should be a service, but there's something about switching. Every time that you find out some subscription you're having is going up in price even if it's 99 cents, it's still upsetting. And so I think my concern with that is if we're going from something that was totally free to something that now is $10, is that going to be upsetting to people? Are they going to feel like, why was it free earlier? Are they not going to understand? Are they going to feel like we're trying to take advantage? I think there's just a perception in there. I don't know if it's necessarily grounded in anything. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's, that's more something like personal. Like I've, I, I've had that gut feeling of, wait, it was free. Why are you doing, why does it have to be paid now? Like, why can't it stay free? This was a free service, even though I understand why. Yeah. I don't know if I really articulated it there. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. And, and I also, it also makes me think, oh, we have these ideas that like people notice too. Some people notice, but are there a lot of people who don't notice that it was free before and, and now it's paid? Because we're wrapped up in it. We actually did this big survey of people who were part of this group that had done all our virtual programs, but then also sought out people who had never done virtual programs. And in the group that we surveyed who had never done one of our virtual programs, one of the reasons that they cited was because they didn't want to pay for anything, but we didn't charge for anything. So in a time when we were completely free, we were getting, people were upset that we were charging, which is really interesting that they went into it thinking that it was going to be a paid thing. So they just didn't even bother looking at it. 
And now all of a sudden we've moved to the, this new model where it is paid. So I wonder if these people, if they're like, oh yeah, that's what I thought. But it is this fascinating thing of, I don't know, for those people, they're not going to feel alienated because they already felt that way about us. Oh, that's so interesting. So the people who, people made assumptions that this would cost something, so they're not going to tune in. Yeah, you wonder if you, if you had lost those people from the get-go anyway. To go back to the beginning, you were talking about you, you got this funding to create these new initiatives. And then when that goes away, you're, oh, what now? What's that been like? Yeah, that, that has been a challenge in multiple ways. I think one of the issues of grant funding in general is that is sustainability. You've created this monster and you want to keep feeding it, but you no longer have the resources to do that. Yeah, we need more digital follow-up grants <laughs> so that people can <laughs> keep these things going. I really just need the NEH to give us another grant so that we can just keep it, keep it going. Yeah, and it sounds like it's a blessing and a curse, right? It is. And what we keep trying to like remind ourselves is that if these people were coming to the museum for a program, we would actually be seeing the numbers still are better for being virtual. Because if they were on site, we'd be limited by how many people can actually come into the room, how many people can be in the auditorium, how many people can be in the different halls or the different areas we're in. So some of these talks, like we would have been limited to 100 people. So if we're seeing 100 people that are paying online, it's more like an in-person talk. Although we are getting more of an international audience, which is really nice that they have access and some things like our, we are doing these historic process demonstrations. And for those, we're getting pretty good numbers. And that's something like, you can't just go into the dark room. Like we can't have a group of 75 people hanging out with us in a dark room. It just, it would never work. Usually that would have been an experience that was limited to six people. So the fact that a hundred people can now do this experience is really cool. Yeah. So I think there's also that factor of we're still, it's still a better position than if we were able to do it on site. We're still getting a bigger audience than we would have physically gotten. It's just compared with last year's numbers, it feels worse. If we had come into this straight out of COVID, we would have been really excited. This would have been great. It, it's just that comparison. If 2020 hadn't happened the way that it happened, and we had just started doing webinars, we would have been thrilled with the results we're seeing right now. That's so interesting that zooming out to that larger context is so valuable, yeah. What happens for you all next? And I wanna ask like how people can follow you and your work. So what happens next? That is a great question. I, we're looking at things right now, very much month to month like a lot of people are, we have planned that definitely through June, everything's going to be virtual and we're still going to be experimenting with a few different pricing models and just see what works. I think heading into the second half of the year, it's more of a question mark. We might be able to do some things on site and then the question becomes, are we going to try to live stream it? Are we going to try to come up with a digital component to it? So that this audience that we've built who can't come on site, who physically, for whatever reason, aren't able to travel to New York, can they attend somehow? And those are the big questions for us right now is what happens when we hit 
a point when we can have that online talk or the on-site talk. What do we do with all these online programs? Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's daunting thinking about returning to things being a little bit more normal. I think live streaming is like a whole different animal. And for all of us who have, are finally feeling like we're experts in Zoom and we can actually pull these things off, it's, it's a little scary to think, all right, now how do we do this and coordinate it with something that's happening live in person? It's very different. But if people are interested in following along and seeing what we're doing and what's happening, they can follow me on Twitter. I'm Kay Myers, or you can follow the museum, which is at Eastman Museum. We're also at eastman.org. We're doing a lot of really interesting things this year to play around with digital tools and explore outreach. And I always welcome people to, if you want to talk through something, if you want to know a little bit more behind the scenes of what we're doing or how we pulled something off, I'm more than happy to just pull back the curtain and share all the secrets. We've done a lot with 360 virtual tours, video programs, different social media takeovers, different on-site stuff with mobile technology. And I'm more than happy to talk with anyone about challenges they're having or opportunities and yeah, share our secrets. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kate. Always happy to chat about museums and where we're going.